0: Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Hi everyone. It's Lisa. I'm so happy you're here because I think the message in today's episode is one we all need to hear. If you like it, take a screenshot, tag us on Instagram, tell us what your favorite part of the episode is. I can't wait to hear from you. If you're looking to build community, Wine Women and Wellbeing has 26 branches across Canada, connecting women, bringing women together. Head to our website, winewomenwellbeing.com, or our Instagram to find out how you can find a community near you. Okay, let's dive in. Hello my friends, today I am here with Nina Purewall. Nina faced an unexpected childhood tragedy, which inspired her mindfulness and meditation journey over 20 years ago. After climbing the corporate ladder in sales and marketing for nearly a decade, she took a sabbatical and moved to California to unplug and live in an ashram for a year to further her learning of ancient wisdom and letting go. It's been her greatest passion to help others find happiness through adversity. With that, she founded Pure Minds, a social enterprise that conducts mindfulness and meditation workshops for the corporate sector with over 50 clients. She is the co-author of the international bestseller Let That Shit Go and has partnered with a kids company about as a podcast host and a kids meditation mentor. Hello Nina. Hello, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited that you're here. Um i oh, everything everything's falling down. I got too ex- I got too excited. I wanted to like Prove that I'm like carrying this book around with me in my purse, in the passenger seat of my car, when I get a spare minute, when I'm waiting to pick up the kids, Um, I'm kind of using it as my Bible lately. And I just like, how about I just start with saying thank you for writing it because I think the world needs it. And I'm so excited that you came to talk to me.
1: Thank you so much, first of all, for that humbling introduction. And second of all, for saying that, I mean, it just my heart and soul and Kate's is in that book. Um, It's 20 years of life long lessons that I learned along the way. Um, So I really appreciate
0: when people say that they take everything we wrote to heart. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, if you get a chance to read it, it's called Let That Shit Go. I'm just going to keep saying it because I can just swear freely. It makes me feel good inside. Um, But I just think like every, I turn the page and I'm like, yes, yes. And I feel like some of it is stuff that we already know, but the way that you're presenting it, we're going to get into all that. I'm clearly jumping ahead because it was just, it's sitting in front of me. I'm excited. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Because I feel like clearly that has probably been what has shaped you to get to where you are today. So can you share some of that with us?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, If I can be vulnerable here. When I was 16, I went through a very unexpected tragedy. As you mentioned, I lost my dad and my brother. And everything happened overnight. It was actually a murder-suicide, and had I been home, his plan was to take me too, so I wake up every day just thankful to be alive, Um, and at that age, at 16, I started to question what life is all about, what's the meaning of life, what's my purpose here, and so that's when I really got into studying ancient wisdom, mindfulness, meditation, you know, I've had a lot of therapy as well, parallel pathing that with my healing, but I really don't know where I would be without my practice. It has truly saved me. Um, You know, from that incident, I went to business school, had a career in sales and marketing. But as you mentioned, in 2010, I wanted to further my study. Um, So, you know, sold my home, put my career on hold and lived in an ashram for a year where I had monks from all around the world come in and talk about these amazing, incredible life secrets. And when I went back into corporate after it came back, it was 2011. You know, I thought there's so much of this that is applicable to real world stress and I want to share it with the world. So I
0: started my company in 2017 and haven't looked back. Oh my God. We have so much to talk about. Um, (laughs) I'm going to rewind you a little bit because that's a huge, huge life. I don't, I don't even think life obstacle is, is the correct word. I don't even know how to, I can't imagine having to overcome that, the strength that it took the, but at such a young age, like having to overcome such a tragedy at any age, but you had to deal with that at a time where children are so, life is so unknown at that time as it is. So you're in this adolescent angst of not really knowing how to find your place in the world. I mean, being a teenager is hard for the most privileged of all children. Um, it's still hard for them. And you dealt with this huge disrupt in your life. Your life got turned upside down as a teenager. How did you navigate that at that time in your life? Like, did you have those tools then?
1: No, because
0: it was the 90s
1: and nobody talked about mental health. Nobody told me that I went through trauma for decades. Like I didn't realize why I went from, you know, an A student to like barely being able to sit through a class and spending most of my days in my guidance counselor's office. Um, So I did, you know, my mom had me meet a child psychologist and a child psychiatrist that didn't really work for me because I didn't really feel like at 2 p.m. on an afternoon talking to a lady in a suit Mm -hmm. and so what really actually helped was I went to this place called the season center for grieving children and I met other teens who had lost people through severe trauma and suddenly I didn't feel like I was the only person in the world going through this Um, But yeah, it was tough to navigate in high school. I had an amazing support system, but I felt it. I felt, you know, there was caution tape around my house for days. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we were on page of the local paper for a few days. And so I felt like it was written on my forehead, like that's the girl. And as if life isn't hard enough, as you mentioned, as a teenager. So as I said, I really leaned into ancient wisdom and found a lot of peace and grounding there. But it has been a journey. Like in the book, I talk about, you know, my forgiveness journey with my dad. But that in itself took, you know, 24 years for me to, or 20 years, I should say, for me to even get to a place of acknowledging that. So, you know, it hasn't been easy, but um, it was kind of one day at a time. And I'm so grateful now that youth have all of these names for the things that they're feeling and they're going through. I think that's so empowering and it helps parents navigate um, I think where we've come with mental health has been great progress since
0: the 90s. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the 90s. No, if you said that you went to therapy in the 90s, you're, you're getting Label. checked into the, like you would say like, oh, I heard they were in, in the psych ward. Like people, it was like a thing in the 90s, in the psych right? Ward.
1: It was either yeah. like you're a normal kid or you're in the psych ward. There was yeah. no spectrum of depression or anxiety or trauma or any of that um it was very black and white back then and it you know it's heartbreaking because I, I always wondered how many kids went through life you know just with challenges
0: being unacknowledged absolutely so you finished the adolescent angst and you made your way through that by a miracle and you went to school you went into corporate And so when did that switch happen where you were like, I'm leaving it, I'm leaving the job that I'm quote unquote, supposed to have. And then you, because you you went to an ashram, um, that's, that's a, that's a jump from corporate. It was a big jump
1: and everybody thought I was crazy at the time. They're like, it was 2010. No one was talking about mindfulness or meditation. Yoga for sure was on its thing, but um, I just had to listen to my gut. There was—I was addicted to work. I was addicted to my crackberry at the time. I was working crazy hours, and I suddenly had this longing and this feeling that there's there's more to life for me. There was more to life, and I needed to figure out what that was. So I went to the ashram. I came back, um, and it was again 2011. No one was talking about this stuff, and I'm like, how am I gonna? I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how it was going to manifest. And then in 20. At 14, I lost my mom and she was my best friend, my rock, my everything. Um, and I was four months pregnant when I lost her. Oh my God. I'm and so sorry. Just the most heart-wrenching time. And she, she had just retired. She spent 25 years working for a bank and just retired. Mind you, she lived her life and went on her pilgrimages and, and did everything she wanted to do after my dad died. Um, but I had a moment where I was like, okay, I lost my brother. He was 10. My dad was 44. My mom is 61. You never know when that day is going to come. So do what you love, do what you're passionate about, because we don't know how much time we have. And when my mom passed, that was kind of my second life shock and realization to just sit in, you know, authentically what I want to share with the world. And so I started my business, I said, you know, I I had two clients, I'm like, if I have to go back to corporate, it's always there. There's that safety net there, I'm gonna take the risk. Um, And now I have over 50 clients and I just, it's been an incredible journey, but I think it was those life lessons that really pushed me to be like, this is not for me and this, this
0: is. Okay, I know you might not be able to wrap this up into like one particular thing, but what was your experience at the Ashram? Your biggest takeaway, like I said, there's probably way more than one, and that you probably can't just say one thing, but what was that like for you? Because did you yeah. not completely unplug? I did. I completely yeah, that's that's a big deal. You kind of just glazed over that. That's a huge <laughs> deal.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I had no access to internet, no TV, no friends. I actually told my friends if they wanted to get a hold of me to write me a letter. Uh, a writ, handwritten letter, and I sent and received 150 letters that year, just FYI, in this age of technology. Wow. Um, so I'm going to lean into to not something of ancient wisdom, because I feel like my whole book is filled with that, and just tell you from my personal experience, I realize when you quiet the mind, when you take away the distractions, when you take away the phones, when you take away the social media, when you take away the friends, the social life, kind of what we all experienced in COVID with lockdowns, mm-hmm. shit's going to come up. Because so much stuff, you know, I was walking, it's like me in the Redwoods and I was, you know, my, my husband was with me too, but I was, you know, walking the Redwoods and these beautiful mountains and I had no distractions. And so suddenly everything with my dad and brother, all the anger, all the resentment, everything started to come up, all the sadness. Cause I think I just locked myself into my career and I numbed and numbed and I suppressed my emotions for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think with quiet and this is what meditation does the power of it is you know sometimes it can be scary because you're sitting there with your thoughts and shit comes up that you haven't didn't realize was sitting there but it's like if you know you, you only have so much mental capacity your drawer can only be so full and once you bring to light the keys and the crap that's sitting in the corner of these drawers and you're like I don't need this shit anymore why am I holding on to it And you start to get rid of it. That's when you allow for the new to come in. So my whole lesson there was that when you quiet the mind and you allow yourself to bring shit up, because you can't let shit go until you bring shit up. Mm -hmm. That's when you can start to heal, acknowledge, make room for all the goodness and all the new, because you know you let go of all the stuff. Because we're the ones that are hanging on to all the heavy stuff, you know, and it's not an easy process by any means, but that quiet
0: is, is,
1: can be so, so healing and so critical.
0: Okay. If someone's listening to this and they're just starting their meditation journey. And so they're learning to sit and be present in the moment. And then the shit starts to bubble and it starts to surface. What do they do? What should they do? Yes. Great question.
1: I, so I always tell people don't expect your thoughts to stop in meditation. They're, they're going to come. I've been meditating for 18 years now. I've never had a meditation where thoughts haven't flown by or come through. They might be fewer and farther between, but if my mind's active, they're going to be there. So when they come up, don't resist them. Don't surprise. Don't say, Oh my gosh, now it's a bad meditation. I keep thinking about the situation, allow it to come in, but also allow it to go like, let that shit go too. just allow. And I, I, you know, it's funny. I just filmed this video for Instagram, but I often picture myself as the ever-present sky because we are so much more than our thoughts and our, my thoughts, just little clouds like coming in, but also going, but mind you, if they're big things of trauma, of a situation, of a person, acknowledge that too, in your meditation say, okay, wow. I didn't even know that that was bothering me this much. Acknowledge it, let it go, but also make sure when you're out of meditation, you're dealing with whatever's
0: coming up. Okay, so now we're meditating. We've we've implemented this practice into our life, but life is crazy. And we are running in a million different directions for the most part. There's a lot of people who feel like they're on the hamster wheel. And if they can only get in five minutes and they're they're trying to just they're trying to do the right thing. They know they should meditate. They know they should move their body. They know they should do all of these things that are good for their well-being. But I feel like we're in a society that feels burnt out. We are. So how do we manage? How do we find time? How, what do we do? What is your message for the burnt out women listening to this?
1: Oh gosh, where do I begin? Um, so for the burnt out women who want to implement, you know, meditation. I always say, even if you have 30 seconds, even if you have a minute, I started, you know, recently I have a meditation room in my house, but I actually started just meditating in bed because I'm like, before I pick up my phone, before I have my first thought of the day, before I have my conversations, before I even shower or brush my, I just sit up. And if I have a minute before my daughter wakes up, I have a minute. Um, ideally, you know, you want to meditate for longer, but don't judge your practice. Don't judge the time. Just, you know, if you're feeling burnt out, you have so many things going on, just sit up for a minute and take some really, really deep breaths. And that can be, you know, that can set your day, but where you want to implement it, because yeah, life gets busy and we're on the hamster wheel and we're stressed out and we're anxious and everything, depression, anxiety, all of it's on the rise. That's where mindfulness comes in. So meditation is like the act. It's like going to the gym for your mind, right? Because we do so much for our body. What are we Mm -hmm. doing for our? and then mindfulness is grabbing moments throughout your day so you know you're done putting this big deck together for work and you're gonna go get a coffee be really mindful in those 30 seconds that you're just walking from your desk to the coffee maker and pouring your coffee and you know you can take deep breaths you can lean into your senses I have this technique that I learned from a monk where you can talk out what you're doing. Now I'm put, you know, pulling out the coffee maker. Now I'm putting it, pouring
0: it into my cup. Now I'm, I'm putting laughing it because I did that last week. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like reading your book, and I was like, now I'm emptying the dishwasher. I am going to put this cup on the shelf. <laughs> it trains your mind to because that's the thing that absolutely so
1: does. Physically busy, but mentally, we're a million times busier because we're physically doing something, but mentally, we're in a million different places. Mm -hmm. And that's why we can't get calm because we can only think one thought at a time. So, what mindfulness does is it teaches us to just be present. Because as you're pouring that coffee, you can't send that email, you can't make dinner, you can't discipline your kid, you can't do it, you're just pouring the coffee. So, be in the moment. And the more you meditate, they kind of go hand in hand. The more you have mindful moments. And, you know, in that coffee pouring of, you know, five minutes and the whole walking, getting the coffee, your mind might run off 30 times and that's okay. Just bring it back and bring it back and bring it back. And the awareness that the mind is going to all these places and bringing it back to the present will, you know, inject calm throughout your day and train your, cause right now we have no control over our minds. We think 60,000 thoughts a day and we have no, our minds are controlling us. We don't even know the next thought we're going to think. So the process of mindfulness and meditation almost switches you to finally you having some control over that crazy active mind.
0: Taking the power back. Exactly. Exactly. Taking that power back. (laughs) Okay. So does that still like, do you, the monk taught you to say like, I'm going to pick up the apple now. I'm Like, do you still go back to that grassroots practice or does that happen naturally for you now?
1: I go back to it all the time, but it does, ha- it happens naturally. Sometimes I have to be more active and I'll notice I'll be like, whoa, whoa, you're out of control today. Um, just walk through the next, you know, five minutes. Um, but it happens a lot more naturally and easy. I can tell cause I can also, you know, you can tell with physical symptoms, right? Suddenly your heart starts racing or you get butterflies or your palms get sweaty. Right. So I'm like, okay, something's going on and I'm thinking about something like, and I tap into it and then I just, try to be in the moment in that time and say, there's nothing you can do about this in this moment. So just be here and now.
0: I love that. You're like the fit person that you see at the gym and you're like, wow, she's been doing this a long time. Like she's really been at the gym for years. She knows exactly what she's doing. That is your (laughs) mind to me right now. I'm like, she's got this together. It's great. My, I still have a chatty mind and it loves
1: to take me in all these directions, you know, especially with the losses I've had and the trauma and the grief, like I just did a 20 week trauma healing program a year ago. Um, so I'm still working on self. I'm still working on the thoughts and, uh, I think it's a lifelong journey, but yeah, it's, like I said, it saved me. I think I would be in a dark hole somewhere if I
0: didn't have this practice. Such a gift. Can you talk to us a little bit about Pure Minds?
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. So Pure Minds is my business that uh, I founded in 2017. I just incorporated September 1st, so that's exciting. Um, majority of what I do is corporate workshops. Uh, so I've worked with over 50 companies to implement mindfulness and mental health and meditation into the way that they work. Um, all of my workshops are, you know, based on the book "Let That Shit Go." I'm also, as you said, a co-author. Um, So Pure Minds is really about sharing, you know, the book is over 120 tips on how to let shit go. So just kind of sharing that and also owning up to it and trying to live it as well every day. Um, I also, as you mentioned in my intro, have partnered with a kids company about I'm passionate about kids. I think youth mental health is, you know, really something to, you know, for us to all to, to focus on. Um, so I have a kid's podcast where kids ask questions and kids answer them. They're so freaking brilliant. These kids. It's
0: amazing. I love this. Okay. So take me back because I have two daughters and yeah. they are now, and I've recently got myself a meditation cushion. I'm doing, I'm trying to do all the things because I was at a place last year where I was like overworking, dropping all of the well-being practices I had to the wayside. Cause there was no time. I was the hamster. Um, right. So I've been really working on dialing that in. And so my kids are like with their affirmation cards and they're like, and so they're, they do what they see you doing. Right. And so now when I saw, I was like, Oh, meditation for kids, there's a podcast. What like, talk, talk to me about this. So kids ask the questions. Kids ask the question. Hang on, I want to pause and just capture one thing you said
1: when, you know, you talked about being so busy and dropping all the well-being. This is what I love about mindfulness. You don't need to change your routine. You don't need to drop that class. You don't need to do less for your kids. You don't need to work, you know, you can sustain what you're doing. It's just about having more moments of being present. And I mm-hmm. want to reiterate that, like with mindfulness, it's just about the lens through which you are viewing life.
0: Um, and that that creates the calm. Yes, because um, it changes everything because then, you know, like, you know, that actually is not a priority for me. That's not gonna get me where I want to go. And it just shifts your the lens that you're looking at life through, right? Yes, exactly, exactly.
1: That's the magic of it. Um, but yeah, with this podcast, so kids ask questions. So brilliant questions. Like, you know, what do I do if my friend is, is a good friend, but they're being mean to me? Um, what do I do if I don't feel like doing my homework? You know, what do mm-hmm. I do if my parents are telling me one thing, but I feel like doing something else. So kids ask the questions and then kids answer them. And oh my God, that talk. would be
0: so, as a former elementary school teacher, I could only imagine some of the answers, but they surprise you sometimes, right?
1: Oh, so brilliant. Like I'm listening. I'm like, well, yeah, what would you do? like, I'm <laughs> taking advice from these kids. You know, we learn so much from our kids, but um, it's, it's called, it's okay to ask. And it's cultivating this whole culture that A, you know, no question is too, too small or too big for any kid to ask and B, you know, kids are brilliant. There's a a lot of coaching I did with um, Matthew Winner, who's the head of podcasts at kids company about, about um, talking up to kids because we tend to see this hierarchy, you know, and uh, the conscious parent is also a great book by Dr. Shafali Saberi, where she talks about, you know, there are equals, they're actually here to teach us lessons.
0: And don't they?
1: Um, And you know, just talking to them not like in that condescending, like, okay, make sure this is done, you know, like, okay, so what are we going to do about this situation now? And it's amazing when you give them that credibility and that platform, how they step in. Um, and so this podcast is all about, you know, just honoring their questions and how they how they process it and what they what their answers are and how they come up with them.
0: Okay. I need you to tell me again. Everyone's going to hear me writing. What's it called? I, uh, it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask. And what's the meditation? Cause there's a kid's meditation too, right? It's meditations. Yeah. So they, they had an app, so
1: they were all, Same name? App.
0: um,
1: just look under a kid's company about, and they're all, all uh, some of them are on their website. Some of them are on uh, Spotify, some of them are on Apple podcasts. So they're kind of like releasing them slowly. Um, They were supposed to be on their pot, their app, but then they kind of put their app on hold. So, but there's thirty, and there's some on YouTube too. So there's, you know, 30 or 40 meditate kids meditations out there.
0: I just think it's so, I remember when my daughter started kindergarten and this is when we had gone back to Canada pre COVID and she came home one day and she was just all like in this little fluster and she opened up her little hand really wide and she took her other finger on the opposite hand. And she started going up and down her hand. And she was like, I just have to do my mountain climbing. And she was like, breathe in, breathe out. And I was like, I don't know who your teacher is. It's day two, but I love her. (laughs) I love love her. I'm going
1: into my daughter's class actually in a few weeks to do a little mindfulness and meditation workshop. But when COVID started, you know the kids were going through like so many kids are in virtual school, all the emotion they don't see their friends, they're feeling isolated. We created a calming center in our just like a little corner of the house, and it has yoga flashcards, mindfulness flashcards, glitter jars. Um, we drew out like a bunch of emojis, you know, because she was younger at the time, so. You know, instead of her, sometimes they have a they have challenges expressing how they're feeling, right? So I'm like, "What's going on? What's going on with you?" And just like pick out an emoji. I mean, we had all these little things that we had, uh, you know, crystals and like sage sprays. So and good. So and all and you know, it got to the point where she was like, "I would have a moment." She's like, mommy, you, you need to get to the calming center.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're over there picking up the poop emoji. Like, I feel like poop. <laughs> <laughs> can't let that go. <laughs> yeah, yeah." for real that was a, a whole time but i do think that it's the way forward and now that's that wasn't there when you were a kid when you were a teenager and the fact that our kids are now if if they're in the right you know if they have a great teacher or they have people around them in their life who are doing these things that becomes normal and it's okay to talk about things and it's okay to go to therapy and it's okay to get the help you need and it's okay to say i'm not okay exactly
1: exactly and i I'm so grateful for that, for the kids these days. Cause we had to kind of suppress and repress it all. And now like
0: decades later, everyone's in therapy. like trying yeah. to it all out, thank Can't you. Can't get an appointment to save my
1: life. Right, exactly. So at least, you know, there's that, you know everyone's healing in their own way, but for kids, I'm just glad they have the tools. It's so important.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Okay, ready. If you could sit down, And have a conversation with one woman living or dead. Who would you want to talk to? Viola Davis. Good. An empowering woman. What is your go-to well-being or self-care practice? I feel like that might be obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Meditation, of course, but just
1: breathing, breathing and taking proper breaths from the diaphragm, we, we tend to just breathe at our chest level, and that's how we've gotten used to it. and you know, the more panicked, angry, worried, the more shallow our breathing is. So just taking a really big deep breath from the belly, feeling the belly expand and contract like a balloon. Taking three to five of those can really get your, It does. it gets you activates your parasympathetic nervous system and gets you into a calm head space.
0: Favorite book or podcast recommendation, and you can't say your own. (laughs) I wouldn't say my own. um, Favorite book is probably *A New Earth* by Eckhart Tolle.
1: Beautiful book. What does sisterhood mean to you? What does it not mean? It's everything. Oh my gosh, connection, community, understanding, um, non-judgment acceptance, unconditional
0: love. Okay. And the last one is, is a standard question. We always ask, but it might be extra, extra intense for you. What advice would you give your 16 year old self?
1: Oh, wow. That everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Makes me emotional to think about, but what a world win.
0: Thank you so much, Nina, for being here, for taking the time for your vulnerability. Can you let everyone know where to find you if they're looking for you online? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I loved
1: being here. Such an authentic and, and great conversation. So thank you for uh, seeking me out, for grabbing the book, for supporting it um, and supporting myself. You can find, I picked my poison with social media. I tried doing the TikTok thing, couldn't. Oh God, um, so <laughs> I'm on I hear you. Instagram at nina.peer.minds. I'm on LinkedIn as Nina Purewall, or you can catch me on my website, ninapeerwall.com, and you can email me from there as well. Thank you so much, Nina. Thank you, Lisa. It was so great chatting with you and uh, so appreciate the convo.
0: Thanks for listening, friends. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy, stay kind.